stumbled off into the woods, got lost one day, and he was found by some peasants who took them to their king. Uh, the king was named Midas. Midas was kind to Silenus. He was hospitable and generous. And Silenus spent 10 days with him in Midas's kingdom, enjoying, feasting, seeing the sights, being entertained by the king. And on the 11th day, he was sent back to his home um, area, which wasn't too far away, but a little ways away. And Silenus wanted to give King Midas a gift. Silenus had special powers, and he said, ask of me anything you wish, and I will give it to you. And the king, being somebody who loved gold and loved wealth, said, give me the ability so that whatever I touch will turn to gold. And it was done. He tested it out on an oak twig. Ching! All of a sudden, the oak twig, solid gold. He touched the stone. Ching! The stone was solid gold. And the king was beside himself with joy. He could just picture himself being the richest king in the entire world. And so he went running home to his palace. And there in the garden, he went to the roses and he touched every single rose in his garden. Ching, ching, ching. And all of them turned solid gold. He was thrilled. This was the best day of his life. He pinched himself to see if he was still awake and wasn't dreaming. And he was awake. He was not dreaming. He goes inside. He orders a feast because he is going to celebrate his new ability to turn anything into gold. The food set down before him. You see where this is going, right? <laughs> Grabs that first piece of food and ching, it turns into gold. He grabs something else, ching, oh no. He grabs his goblet to, to put it up to his lips to take a sip, ching, turns into gold. Even the, the wine, the juice, whatever he had, his water, solid gold. And now he realizes that what he thought was the greatest gift has now become the greatest curse. Meanwhile, his daughter comes in. She's been out in the, the rose garden, discovered that all of her beautiful roses had turned to gold and no longer had a nice smell. She comes in, Dad, what's happened to the roses? They don't smell pretty nice and, and they don't look pretty like they used to anymore. And the father, trying to comfort his daughter, reaches out to pat her on the shoulder. Pshing! and he turns his daughter into a statue. By this point, Midas is now frantic. He's beside himself, not with joy, but with sorrow and with regret. And so he begs and he pleads and he prays that whatever power gave him this power, take it away. He was told to take everything back to the river Pactolus. Wash everything that he'd turned to gold and it would be returned to its normal state and he would no longer have the golden touch. He did that and he was much happier. Of course, this story isn't real. There have been various kings named Midas, uh, at least if historical record is accurate. But what if it was true? What if this kind of ability to touch and have things be changed and be 
turned into gold or something better was actually real? What if I told you that it kind of is? In fact, Midas, this fictitious Midas, had no idea that there was something far greater, a touch that could change, not into gold, but something far better. And it was actually real. To understand this, we need to go back to the beginning, or at least back to the book of Exodus, to grasp a, a couple of concepts here as we set things up. Exodus 29, verse 31. Instructions for the priests. And you shall take the ram off of, of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. <clears throat> These were sacrifices, offerings that were taken to the sanctuary. But the Levites and the priests, they didn't have fields and herds and, and ability to make their own income and wealth, etc. So God allowed them to have a portion of the sacrifices and the offerings for themselves so that they could be sustained. They got to eat some of it. And there were also some uh, awesome symbolism involved in this. And then Aaron and his son shall eat of the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They were to eat of this special consecrated flesh, consecrated bread, in a specific spot. And they shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are what? Holy. holy. So we have what we call here holy flesh. Kadosh uh, is the word for holy. Holy flesh. Holy sanctified things. But not everybody could eat them. Only a certain group of people. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is what? It's holy. So it was all de devoted to God, and it was all an offering for God, but for part of the time, God allowed Aaron and his sons to eat of it. But if it sat around for too long, he didn't let them eat it. It, it reverted back to being an offering exclusively for God. So the, so the holy flesh had an expiration date on it. Now, it's interesting when you get into the book of Haggai because you find a question that's asked about the nature of this holy flesh, this food, meat, or bread that was considered to be holy. Uh, notice the question here, Haggai 2.12. If one carries holy meat, holy flesh, in the fold of his garment... And with the edge, he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food. Will it become holy? So you can picture a priest. They've got a long flowing robe and they're carrying this sacred and holy flesh in their garment. And as they're carrying it in their garment, carefully, because this is holy, dedicated to the Lord, but they get to eat some of it, their garment brushes up against some other food. And the question is, because the holy flesh is in the garment, and the garment is touching food, does it make that food holy? Notice the answer. No. <laughs> okay. So the holy flesh was holy in of itself, but it didn't have the ability to, through mere contact, make everything it touched holy. 
But then notice the next verse, verse 13. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body, for example, touches any of these, will it be unclean? So if you touch the dead body and you were ceremonially unclean based on the laws of that time, are you going to make that food unclean? What's the answer? Yes, it shall be unclean. So what we see here is that it's easier to become unclean than clean. There was this concept of the holy flesh, but it didn't have, it was limited in what it could do in making other things holy. But if you were unclean, if you were defiled, you could spread that defilement very, very easily. And even just thinking about the way our world works and the way that germs work, uh, it kind of makes sense. It's easy to spread, to spread germs, but the absence of germs is not so easy. Uh, it doesn't naturally occur, right? So, so there's some interesting concepts here, and we know that the sanctuary was a shadow of things to come, but it was limited. The sacrifices, all of the blood of the lambs and rams and goats, they were limited. In Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us that those things could never wash away the sins. It was only by faith foreshadowing Christ, our true sacrifice, that anything uh, in the Old Testament sanctuary would have any real significance. And so everything in the Old Testament sanctuary was limited, but it had some significance. And so it's interesting, as we think about these concepts of holy flesh, and we think about the concepts of clean and unclean, as we move into the New Testament, we begin to think about some of the stories. Uh, but before that, let me just point out a few more scenarios that could make somebody unclean. Look at this. Very interesting. If a person touches any unclean thing, whether it's the carcass of an unclean beast, or the carcass of an unclean livestock, or the carcass of an unclean creeping things, and he's unaware of it, this is just accidental contact. You brush up against a, a, a pig carcass, or you brush up against uh, this or that. You don't even know it. It's just an accident. You shall also be what? Unclean and what? And guilty, okay? Very interesting. Or if he touches human uncleanness, we won't go into details, or whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Oh, wait, did I just... Ah, oh, I accidentally touched something gross, and now I am unclean, and now I'm guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be that when he is guilty in any of these matters, that he shall confess that which he has sinned in that thing. So becoming unclean requires a process to get clean again, ceremonially. It involves confession of your guilt. And he shall bring a trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. Can you see that there was motivation to not become unclean? Yes. <laughs> this is a pain. Even if it was an accident, 
you had to go through a process. You were guilty. You yourself became unclean. And so you had to bring a sacrifice. You had to make yourself clean again. And again, there's a lot of meaning behind all these things, as well as there were some just good sanitary things that God was building into the system. If you touch something that's decaying and rotting and, and nasty, uh, you might get germs on you that could spread. Everybody's living together in a big tent city. You don't want that to spread. So there was, there was a spiritual level and there was also a physical, biological level. But you just didn't want to become unclean. And there were various scenarios. Okay, sorry ladies, but once a month you had a period of uncleanness. Seven days. Uh, whoever touches a dead body shall be unclean for t seven days. You probably didn't want to be the person who was the, the mortician uh, in those days. You'd just be unclean all the time, right? So a lot of different scenarios. Or if you had leprosy, you would become unclean. So can you, can you understand why the lepers had to say, unclean? Uh, because it was a pain. If you became unclean, you had to go through this whole process. And on top of that, you were afraid you would catch the leprosy or whatever it was, if it was an illness. So it's easy to become unclean, hard to become clean, even with the holy flesh, shadows of things to come. But then check this out. We get to the New Testament. We get to Jesus, the fulfillment of all of these things. Mark 1 Verse 40, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, to, said to him, if you will, you can make me what? <clears throat> you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his what? Now, should Jesus be doing this? Not if you're anybody but Jesus. He stretched out his hand, and he touched him, and he said, I will be cleansed, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was clean. We've got somebody who's a social outcast. People are afraid to be around him, but now Jesus comes and he does something he shouldn't do if he's anybody but Jesus. And if you're somebody else, you'd expect Jesus to become unclean and guilty and have to offer a sacrifice. But the Messiah can't become guilty. The Messiah can't incur guilt. In fact, just the opposite happens. Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the man becomes clean. The man becomes holy. Are you getting a sense for who and what Jesus might be? People caught on to this. Mark 3.10, For he healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to do what? To touch him. They realized contact with Jesus changed things. Amen. No matter what your uncleanness, it could be removed. Notice this, Luke 7. Soon afterward, he went to a town called what? Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had what? Died, was being carried out, an only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd of the town was with her. And the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. 
Then he came up and did what? Touched the beard. That's a word for coffin. Should Jesus have done that? No. But because Jesus was who he was, he did it. Did he become unclean? Just the opposite. The bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Contact with the dead couldn't defile Jesus because Jesus was and is the ultimate fulfillment of the holy flesh. Whatever he touched became clean. What about Mark 5? There was a woman who had a discharge of what? Blood for how long? 12 years. So she was what for 12 years? Unclean. Can you imagine how horrible that must have been for this lady? 12 years she's unclean. But she'd heard the reports about Jesus. She'd heard about this guy. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his what? Now, now earlier, we talked about the holy flesh in the garment of the priest. And it said, if the garment touches the food, does the food get holy? No. But Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all these things. And so Jesus has to touch his garment. And she becomes clean. Instantly. Immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Isn't this awesome? Now, it wasn't just the casual contact. You know, in the Old Testament, you could accidentally bump things and become unclean. It wasn't accidentally bumping into Jesus that made her clean or other people. It was the touch of faith, reaching out in faith and grasping hold. Jesus wants to make us clean. <clears throat> He didn't promise he'd heal all of us, at least not immediately, but he wants to make us holy. Something even more important than healing immediate is to be made holy right now. So today we're, we're launching into our communion service. What did Jesus say the bread represented symbolically? His body, his flesh. As we participate today in communion, we are saying to God, I want the holy flesh in my life. I need to be made holy in my heart. My flesh needs healing. My flesh needs holiness. That's a pretty solemn and awe-inspiring gift that God gives us. Uh, it's not just where we eat a little cracker. By the way, once a year we have a big, uh, a big meal, much like what it was uh, in Jesus' day. At the end of the year, we'll do a Friday night service, and it's going to be really great. So we just do a little sample. Um, but we remember the deep significance that Jesus is the holy flesh, and whoever he touched became blessed, became healed, became holy. And so we say, God, I need that. I want that holiness in my life. Before we participate in that, we're also going to participate in something else Jesus instructed us about. The foot washing, a symbol of cleansing. 
And in many senses, foot washing is like a little mini rebaptism. Remember what Peter said to Jesus? He's like, uh, don't wash me, Lord. And Jesus said, no, 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 you need to be cleansed. And Peter's like, well, well go ahead and just do my whole body then, God. Jesus said that just the feet will be sufficient. You've already been baptized, right? So this is an awesome opportunity. Uh, we do it four times a year to remember the humility of Jesus, but also refresh in our mind in a physical way the cleansing of Jesus. So in a moment, we're going to split ways here. Uh, in this room, if I remember correctly, we have the ladies foot washing. And in Bellman Hall, we have couples or families. And in one of the other rooms that way, kindergarten, we have the men. Uh, if today you, you wish to just stay in your seats and uh, meditate while we, we do this, that's fine too. We'll come back after we do this joyfully and we will participate in partaking in the holy flesh. But let's pray before we, before we part ways. Heavenly Father, we are humbled and honored that you call us your children. And again today, we get to remind ourselves that your blood has cleansed us, is cleansing us, and will continue to cleanse us as we ask for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Make us more humble and more servant-like, like you were. Give us greater joy and greater holiness as we accept you again into our hearts and lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.